Well, good morning to you all, and welcome not only those that are here, but also those that are joining us online, and uh, those that may listen to this later on a recording. Uh, We've been going through the life of Abraham, the life of faith as an example to all of us, and we've been, as we've been going through this series, I think we're somewhere around message 14 or 15 or somewhere, I think I lost count now, Uh, we have a few more left on uh, the life of Abraham. But last time, we were in Genesis chapter 18, and we were talking last week about Abraham and his intercessory ministry, or interceding on behalf of a lost world. And um, Genesis 19 is, uh, Abraham's not present in Genesis 19, other than he had been interceding for uh, his nephew Lot and his family and those of Sodom and Gomorrah which were engaged in great sin and God's judgment had come now to a point where the cup was full so to speak and he was getting ready to pour out his judgment and Genesis 19 is the historical record of that where fire and brimstone is rained down from heaven and those two cities uh, really close together they would almost be one city were destroyed um, and there was utter destruction and those that were were spared were Lot and um, his daughters and also um, his wife came out but she looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt it says Um, I believe that she was consumed essentially by the judgment of God that was falling upon the city and there was a a, a picture there of that but it's interesting that as we've been focusing on the life of Abraham I said well I think I'm going to go over and skip over Genesis 19 and go right into Genesis 20 because that's what we're focusing on, on on his life as a pattern of faith. And understand this, that for believers, uh, Genesis 19, uh, you, I I would say this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're already standing on judged ground, all right? You have someone who has been judged for your sin, and that's Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was enough once for all. God will never destroy his own, just so you know that. Even though sometimes as his own, as believers, as Christians, we will go sometimes and do bad things like sin, right? Sin is anything that's an affront to God, and it really is against God and who God is. And believers can do that. And uh, we know that if you are a believer, you know that sin will be a constant struggle so long as we're in this mortal body, but it need not reign over us. And one thing we've discovered about Abraham is that he was a man of faith. That is how God characterizes him. He's in, Gen- in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith, and he was someone that believed God and followed him. But I would say this also, the Bible also shows us that Men are just men at their best. Women are just women at their best. And we fall into this category of sinners, all right? And Abraham was a man that though he, his life is characterized as one of faith um, and one that he believed God and God saved him, he was justified, it says, in the book of Romans. He was reconciled to God. And uh, we know that about Abraham. But we also know that he was a man that stumbled, and fell and went into sin more than once. And sometimes his fears reigned in his body and reigned in his mind and drew him away from God. And yet the story of Genesis 20 is really a story about how God will not let us go. God will not let us uh, thwart his plan. 
even if we choose to do something is uh, disobedient against God. And God will step in often and put up a hedge about us and do that. Well, we're going to read down through all 18 verses here of this section. And I want to get the context and we'll go back and we'll comment on this. Um, But this resounds, if you wonder as we read it, this sounds familiar. It's very similar to Genesis chapter 12 when we were first introduced to Abraham, when he first started his journey of faith. And understand this, Abraham is almost 100 years old now. All right. It is just before the promised son is going to be born by his wife. And uh, he goes off and somehow gets afraid. And I wonder often as what took place in Genesis chapter 19 with the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah and the, the, that, all the, the things that went on with that, that that didn't displace Abraham a little bit in his mind. Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't say. We don't know exactly. But we do know this, that he moved around and he went to a different location. And he went to a location where he fell into a temptation that was brought on by his fear. It was a temptation to lie. And let's look at Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? And did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me, and therefore I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on the account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. 
Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. And thus she was rebuked. And so Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. And then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. We come here to an interesting story and it sounds like I said familiar because in Genesis 12 we have in a time of famine Abram and Sarai their names had not been changed to Abraham and Sarah at that point they go down to Egypt and uh, apparently and the Bible says it Sarah was a beautiful woman she was beautiful when it was earlier in her life when they left Ur of the Chaldees shortly thereafter all that takes place And later on in life, when she's approaching 90, because she was going to be 90 years old when uh, Isaac was going to be born, and he hadn't been born yet, and it's in that transitional probably year right after the Genesis 18 when God reveals and reaffirms to Abraham that he's going to have a son and there is a uh, that that his seed his descendants will be innumerable they'll be like the stars of heaven they'll be like the sand on the sea and he reaffirms that covenant he made with Abraham and yet we come and again Sarah being a very beautiful woman Abraham apparently had this concern and it appears all his married life that men were going to take her from him and in the process of that um, that he would probably get killed. And he thought, well, it'd be better to tell them a sort of half-truth, because if you follow the genealogy of uh, Sarah and Abraham, they appear at, at closest to be a half-brother-sister combination. You say, oh, that's a little strange. We don't do that, right? You're not supposed to. Actually, the Bible condemns incest. Um, however, uh, under the law that was given, the Mosaic law hadn't been given yet either, under the law that was there um, a man could do that and often would in cases where let's say a grandfather or father who was had daughters that they die and those daughters need to be taken care of and so they would hand them out and not in a bad way but in, in in an arranged way to the men of their family to marry them all right they were arranged marriages and i'm not going to get into all that we don't do that culturally uh, sometimes it might be better if we did, right? Because we don't always do the good things in arranging for ourselves, right? But others should have some input in that for sure. But nevertheless, there's, there's that on the face of this. Now, in reading some of the other commentary on this, um, if you follow the, I think it's back in Genesis 12, when Abraham leaves his father, uh, Nahor is the grandfather, and Nahor has a daughter that is often, the, among Hebrew scholars, think that Sarah is actually the daughter. So she probably wasn't a stepsister, but she would have been a step-niece, I guess, in that range, or something like that. Uh, so it may not have been as quite close. But regardless of that, the Bible doesn't try to paint man's affairs and lives and everything else with a rosy little colored glass like we do. We always try to make ourselves look good when we write our biographies or autobiographies, right? We try to make ourselves look good. But the Bible just tells the truth. It was a sticky situation. And for Abraham, uh, he's married this woman. She's his wife. 
But he thinks, well, she's a beautiful woman. She's going to be taken by these men who like beautiful women. And, and for sure, they don't fear God and that I'm going, to have, I'm going to be in trouble here. So maybe they'll keep the brother alive. They won't keep the husband alive. You know, That's maybe his reasoning. Uh, I don't know. He was afraid because he says that later on in this text. Well, I want to look at this because what we have here is an example of the same sin coming back into Abraham's life. And, you know, those of us who are people of faith, we know that sin never rears its head again, right, in our lives, right? Am I saying, I'm saying that, yeah, jokingly, uh, because I know better. I know often the same sins that we've maybe run from before or withheld through the, as they come and tempt us or, or sometimes sin that we engage in, listen, it doesn't go away just because you repent. You may repent and you may find that the temptation may come again. It might be years later. It might be immediately. But it will come because our enemy, Satan, is out there and he is out there looking at uh, seeking those he can devour, right? That's how the Bible describes him, as a lion seeking whom he may devour. And also, I know the heart of a man, all right? And this heart of mine, if I let it wander, it goes far. It can go really far. And we have to be careful about that. As Christians, we need to yield our members, our bodies, our minds, everything to the Holy Spirit. And he will not lead us into sin. And actually, he doesn't lead us into sin at all. And I will say that because um, there are those things. Well, if you want some points, I guess some outlines to this. We find out, first of all, sin does not have an expiration date. I wish it did. I mean, in this life, it doesn't have an expiration date. It's going to have an expiration date when I leave this life. And this old carcass is finally put off. Uh, this old carcass isn't going to be sinning. All right? I'm going to be brought into the very place with God and... My soul, my spirit, my non-material parts, your non-material parts will leave that body. If you're a believer, and you'll go into the presence of God. And there is no sin in, in heaven. The body itself, in whatever state of decay is left, wherever it is, someday will be raised up again and reunited, and it will be a sinless body. Uh, that is the hope of the resurrection as well. And that will be the eternal state of believers. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you die. Uh, your non-material parts, your soul, your spirit will still leave you. And according to Luke 16, the man there who was a, rejected God, what it says there, when he died, he lift, in hell, he lifted up his eyes. It was an immediate thing. He found himself in torment in hell. That's why I say, uh, as a believer, I mean, you, you need to come to Christ. He's the only refuge. He's the only refuge from eternal judgment. Um... Also, uh, as I said, sin doesn't have an expiration date. And we see that in Abraham's life. He's approaching 100 years old. Now, after you get to be about 100, you'd think all the sins that are out there, I've probably been tempted with or whatever. And you should be now someone with enough experience to know, don't go there, all right? I won't go that way. Uh, And yet I find, and I don't know about you men, but as I get older, um, and I'm half that age, all right, just a little over half, the, or yeah, 52, so whatever. Uh, I have a little ways to get to 100. But I can tell you this, that, um, that it's harder now than I think it was in my 20s, 
you know, or my teens in some ways. And I have to be more vigilant in some ways at this age. And there are different temptations. There are different things that come. And that is a thing we need to guard against men and women as well. You know that. Well, sin doesn't have an expiration date. And it may indeed get harder the older you get. And the same things that happened before can happen again. And we see that with his life. Now, one of the things that took place here is that we find Abraham went to a place that put him in a, in a place of temptation. All right? And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, because he was in Gerar, he was there in another territory where there was a king, Abimelech. All right? Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, Gerar, sent and took Sarah. All right? He said, of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And I I say this because he goes to a place where now he's put himself in a predicament. Because there's a king there. Apparently this king um, has his eye on Sarah. And he, he, he wants to take her as his wife. And Abraham lies, or tells a half-truth, I guess you could say. That sounds better, doesn't it? But really, it's a lie, because he wasn't telling him the most important thing, which is, she's my wife. And in doing so, apparently, Abimelech had more fear of God than Abraham, all right? This man that we don't know exactly his relationship with the Lord, I would say this, that if you read Genesis chapter 19 and the destruction of cities, all right, and all the people that were in those cities that, that died, that news got out. And Abimelech wasn't that far from there, and he would have known what took place. And all of a sudden, you know, he has a fear of the God of Abraham, all right? Abraham didn't have as much fear of the God of Abraham. Isn't that funny how that works sometimes, right? We can forget whose we are. And it leads us into a bad place. And that's what happened to him. He journeyed to a place he shouldn't have been. And yet, I'm thankful that God doesn't leave us when we go to places we shouldn't be. He's still with you. He's still with you. Well, we find that God doesn't necessarily keep us from temptation. But he often will provide, now he can, he can keep you from that place. Uh, I think one of the things, the principles here is this, that God has given us the Bible, he's given us his word, and he will never lead you to a place against what his word says, okay? And, And he gives it to light our path, right? And we should do that. And, and so as we do that, and you come to a place where you, um, uh, you're at, you know, like let's say, you know, something like, uh, let's take a sin like alcohol or something like that is something that you, you know, you can't have a beer because it leads to drunkenness, okay? There are people that cannot go near alcohol and they shouldn't, all right? And I would say for a believer, you should stay clear of that. Not because maybe you can have a beer and it's permissible or something like that and and you can, you know, do okay. But it may indeed lead you or someone in your household further along and don't go there. I just say don't. If if he was not down there in Girar, he wouldn't have gotten in any trouble. So that's a good principle. Stay away from it. 
But then there's times that you are in a situation and there's doesn't matter what, you can be doing everything right and still you can have something come your way that is a great temptation. Uh, we read of that in Genesis 39, one of the descendants of Abraham. Uh, we read of him and, Al, I'm going to give you your phone back here. If I can get it. Well, I'm just going to shut it off here. Here we go. All right. Um, he goes into Genesis, in Genesis 39, we have the story of Joseph. And we read of Joseph. He, Joseph got a bad deal in his life in many ways, right? He was a favored son. Uh, he was a man that um, actually had received revelation from God and had been good to tell his brothers about that revelation and everything else. He was doing what was right. And yet, his brothers didn't like that. His brothers thought Joseph was, you know, trying to show that he was somehow better than them. And they hated him. They despised him. They actually got to a point where they sold him into slavery. Okay? And that was the good option because some of them wanted him dead. All right? They sold him into slavery. He ends up down in Egypt as a slave. He didn't have any choice in that. That's, that was his predicament he was in. But God was with him. And God allowed him to be actually bought by a man named Potiphar, and he was to serve in Potiphar's house as a slave. Now, I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be a slave, and I don't think slavery is right. And I, the Bible can, condemns uh, lording over other people and those kind of things. And, and so that's kind of, But again, it pictures for us what is in our world. Man has always tried to take the freedom of someone else. That's the way we, we do in our own sin. And sin will lead you in that. And that is, that is what we see. But anyways, that's not the issue. God was with him. He ends up in Potiphar's house. And he found favor. And that's where we pick it up in Genesis 39.4. says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. So here's Joseph. He says, I'm going to be the best slave I can be. And he was a testimony to God All right, in that. Then he made him overseer of his house. So now, here's, here's Joseph, and now he's overseer of everything in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was um, a wealthy man. He was a military man. He was in charge of everything. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. There's a principle here. When a believer lives right, it doesn't matter where you are or how bad it is, God is, well, he's pleased. And often, he will bless others when we live right. And he will do things. He sometimes brings peace to your enemies because of believers who want to live right. He will bless them financially. Sometimes we read in Genesis, he blessed Abimelech with children because of the prayer of Abraham after he sinned. Here we're looking at Joseph, though. And it says, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. He was a looker also. 
And look what it says. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Here's Joseph. He's in charge of everything of Potiphar's, his finances, his fields, his, his other servants, his household, everything. But there was one thing that he couldn't have, which was the master's wife. Because that would be sinning against God. And Potiphar gave Joseph authority over everything except that. It's a good thing. And Joseph wouldn't have gone there anyways. And the woman gets her eyes on Joseph and she says, hey, come here. Let's go to bed. That's what lie with me means right there. Sleep with me sexually. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in this house or in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. Can I say that again? Because you are his wife. We know from Genesis chapter 20 and Genesis chapter 12, and we also know from Genesis chapter 39 and other places in Scripture that God wants the sanctity of marriage. He doesn't want somebody coming in there and breaking up a marriage. He doesn't want a spouse to go out and to give their affection to another. Read about the book of Hosea on that. That's all about that. And it really pictures what God's people were doing to God. Israel was sinning against God and they were chasing after other gods, idols. And he says it's like harlotry, whoredom. Joseph had it right. He knew that he could not, without sinning, have another man's wife. And he feared God more than he did himself and man. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? By the way, sin is always against God. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if I sin, it's really nobody will know. Or if, if the two of us get together and we sin together and it's just us. No, it isn't. It's against God. Always against God. Whether you're a believer or not, your sin is against God. Always. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day. You can imagine Joseph, every day he shows up for work. Every day the master's wife comes to him and says, Hey, let's sneak away. Come on, come lie with me. But look what it says, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside. He, she's finally got him alone, all right? Men, it's a dangerous place to get in some of those situations alone with another, I'm talking to the men, with a woman that's not your wife, all right? Because it opens the door for accusation, it opens the door for uh, people to yield to the temptation of that. There's principles in that. I, I'm not going to, that's not the part of the message here today, but that's, that's another. Don't go there. He ends up in that situation, though. It wasn't his choosing, he's there. Look what it says. She caught him by his garment saying lie with me she grabs him by his coat but he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran outside listen there comes a point when you can't say no anymore you have to run 
run, run. That's what Joseph did. It didn't get him in a better place, not then. God was going to use it. She's scorned, (laughs) and she's upset. This Hebrew, he has said no to me. And so she makes up a story that he attempted to assault her. And she spreads that really quickly. Of course, when Potiphar hears of that, he listens to his wife. And guess where Joseph ends up? In jail. And Joseph is there in jail, some say up to 10 years, for a crime he didn't commit. He only was there doing what God wanted him to do. And he had to run away from sin. And he did. And it didn't get him any better off for 10 years, maybe. Maybe it was less than that. And you know, it was only after that that God was still, we know this, God was still with him. And eventually, Joseph leaves prison and he's elevated, not to head of all of Potiphar's stuff, but he's head over Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh. And that's the great story of, uh, of how God can work. That he takes one of his, a believer who is willing to walk for him and live for him, and he elevates him and blesses Egypt. He actually saved Egypt. Because Joseph knew, as God revealed to him, that famine was coming, and he had the Egyptians prepare for the famine. And he'd saved not only the nation of Egypt, but he saved his family, who thought he was long gone and dead, probably. And his dad certainly thought he was dead. And his family, at that time of famine, had to come to, down to Egypt, and they, they don't realize it. But the one who's standing before them, who can save them, is Joseph, their own brother and Jacob's son, and it was there that Joseph was used to deliver his own family. Picture of Christ, by the way. Picture of Christ. Christ went to a cross and he died on a cross, not for his own sin, but for yours and for mine. And there were those that were present there that looked upon him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. But he's their savior. He offers that to us. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Temptations, beware. We know that, and I won't go to the passage, but you could look at 2 Samuel in chapter 11, and you find the story of David. It's a tragic story. David is a man after God's own heart. He's a great warrior. He's a war king. He's a, he's a warrior poet, and he writes the Psalms, all these different things. And David, in so many ways, is a man of faith. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet, you come to 2 Samuel 11, David is waiting around in Jerusalem when he should be at ba- in battle. And you know what happens? He sees a woman bathing, and she's on a rooftop. He's up in a palace overlooking the rooftops down there. And he sees her. He inquires about her. Finds out that she's the wife of one of his mighty men. A man that was willing to give his life for David. And he sees this woman, and he says, I have to have her. And he does. And adultery is committed with Bathsheba and there were great consequences to that I mean huge consequences to that but eventually the sin is uncovered sadly Uriah is killed because David had him ordered to go to the front where he would be killed thinking he could hide his sin but he didn't David should have run David should have been in battle men when we have a lot of idle time you can guess that you're going to get in a lot of trouble that's the way it works don't be idle all right be careful about that. Be like Joseph, maybe. You're in a situation, first of all, try not to be in that. But if you are, run. Just run. 
The Bible says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Probably Abraham at a hundred years old should have realized that he was still a man and he was weak at best. No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful. Isn't that great? That's what Genesis 20 is all about. God is faithful. He says, Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes that way of escape is running. Sometimes it's strengthening that inner man to withstand it. Um, We see examples both ways in Scripture. Oh boy. By the way, here's point number two. Sin cannot overcome grace. Sin cannot overcome grace. Oh, I like that. Because where Abraham ends up sinning again, God is still gracious. And he's always like that. That means he gives and he gives. Verse 17, So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children. What was Abraham praying about? I don't think he was only praying about Abimelech being healed. He was praying in a prayer of repentance because that's what God told him to do. He's repentant. You know, when we get right with God, he's promised to cleanse us of our sin. That's grace. He forgives sin if you'll come to him and ask forgiveness. He protected him from harm. That's a gracious thing. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of uh, Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Listen, that's a bad situation. He lies, and sure enough, the king comes, takes Sarah, and he says, hey, I want to marry you. Come with me. And you know, God protected that marriage. I mean, barely, right? She's in preparation for the wedding, I don't know exactly all the customs that went with all that, but I know this, they had not consummated that marriage. It's a good thing because Abimelech would have been a dead man. God told him that. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. Now listen, God is not under any obligation to reveal anything to anybody, but he does. He gives us his word. And he, he did that. He's not under any obligation to listen to anybody in their sin, but he does often. And he said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. He wasn't going to talk about the weather or the pleasantries or how you doing and all that. He just went right to the point. God said, You're a dead man. Listen, when you understand that your sin has condemned you and my sin has condemned us and that we are dead in trespasses and sins, we're dead men. It makes a difference. You say, man, I need, I'm in trouble. I need a savior. I need help. That's God's grace, right? Indeed, you are a dead man because the woman whom you have taken, for she is a married woman, a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Listen, he had seen what had gone on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he called himself a righteous nation compared to them. And he says, Lord, will you slay us too? No, God doesn't want to slay people. He doesn't want to send sinners off into hell. He's done everything to not. He's provided a way out. He's provided a way which is through Jesus Christ. And I could go on and on and on. We read in that text that 
He was blessed financially. He was also used for God's glory in that. Verse 17, it says, um, and I guess that's 18. Nope, it's coming up. I'll, I'll get to it. But we know that God used this for his own glory. Even the sin that Abraham had done, God showed his grace through that and was able to do that in that. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I love that verse. Because you see, the law of God is against us. God says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not commit adultery. You know what? That law is broken over and over and over and over again in our world and has throughout human history. Jesus even was more specific when he said, if you lust after a woman in your mind, you've already committed in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Oh boy. (laughs) You know, that just about pretty much levels it for everybody else. But God's grace abounded more by the way he can heal in those circumstances i know i have talked to people over the years of being in ministry and there are sometimes uh those issues of adultery that come up and somebody says is there any way we can reconcile yes is there forgiveness yes does god want that yes where sin did abound grace did much more abound or in i love that You can't outdo his grace. Thirdly, sin cannot derail God's plan. You see, God was still going to have Abraham and Sarah bring into this world a son. And our sin does not derail God. There are times where sin comes in and it surely looks complicated, but yet he can still do that. I think of that in the story of Joseph when I mentioned his brothers sold him into slavery. That's a sin. They were held accountable for that. You know, later though, because they had sold him into slavery, he ends up in, in uh, Egypt, and years later he ends up being the savior of his family. Only God can do something like that and allow that. That's grace. That's all that is. It's grace. God can take a sinful, fallen world and he can bring beauty out of that, beauty out of those ashes of, that sin has brought in. And he can do that because of his grace. He does it through the cross of Christ. The most hideous and ugly thing that has ever occurred is at the cross where Jesus, the sinless Son of God, died for each and every one of us. And if you reject that, there's no other way of salvation. It's only through him. I know we're running out of time here, but sin cannot derail God's plan. Verse 6 of Genesis 20, And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore I did not let you touch her. You know what God says to Abimelech? I I made it so you couldn't touch that woman. She's a marked woman. He's a marked man, that Abraham. And I have a plan for them. And God broke right through and he gave his word directly to Abimelech. How about that? 
There's really no excuse for any of us that have the completed word of God. We have the Bible. And if you're not in the Bible, you make dumb decisions and, and those things were clearly revealed to you in the scripture, you know, that's on us, really, for not heeding to his word. Here, Abimelech gets revelation from God and God holds his hand against him and doesn't allow him to sin. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. He explains why. He's a prophet. And he will pray for you and you shall live. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. Someone to pray for uh, in doing that. And by the way, are you praying for people? Are you praying for people that don't know the Lord? Right? That's part of the intercessory ministry that Abraham was involved in in Genesis 18 at the end of that chapter. Remember that? Then fourthly and lastly, sin leaves us naked and fearful, you know? Sin leaves us naked and fearful. And that's what exactly happened to Abraham. As he journeys on this walk of faith, as he gets further from the place he should have been, he goes down to Gerar and he's there, he becomes afraid. And by the way, if you're engaged in sin, you'll be afraid. Now you might be able to harden your heart for a while and your conscience becomes seared, but it always drives our fears at the bottom of it. Faith is the opposite really of fear. It really is. And I'm not talking about blind kind of faith. But a faith that has solid roots in something that is known. Something that is tangible. Which is the Lord. Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, they will kill me on the account of my wife. He was afraid because he thought, These pagans, these heathen, they don't know anything about you, God. And they're going to kill me. You know, it's funny, I, I, I sometimes think we, we know the mind of God better than he does, right? You know, God is a great God, and he can work on people all over the world at one time. And sometimes we think, the fear of God isn't in this place, or this person I work with over here, they have no respect for you, or that guy over here, or my relative here, they don't know who you are, only to find out later that God's been working on them. And he has revealed himself to them. And you're the instrument that he wants to use to bring them to salvation. In that they receive Christ. Or they hear more about him at least. That's what Abraham was going to find out. He was going to do that. And then he goes on to say this. But indeed she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father. But not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife And he starts to explain it. It gets pretty complicated. Listen, Abimelech sees right through that because God showed it to him. And you know, our sin is like that. You can try to hide it. You can try to cover it. You can try to, and it always is there before God because he's an omniscient God. He knows everything. And he's omnipresent. I say this, he knows where all the bodies are are buried. (laughs) He does. He's the only one. You can't hide from him. And your sin is not hidden from him. The only way your sin can be hidden is if it's covered by the blood of Christ. As it's washed away. And, and I like that because if you're under the blood of Christ, under the, the vicarious death of Christ, his death was enough to pay for your sin because the wages of sin is death. And he's promised to cover us completely. The word justification in the book of Romans, right? Meaning that to be declared righteous. Because now a holy God sees the holiness of Christ and not the sin that is on us. 
Oh, come to him in that. I'm thankful for that. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. And I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place. Whether we go, uh, say of me, he is my brother. You know, even then, God was so gracious to Abraham in that. He was driven by his fears. He was driven by doubts. And yet, overall, he repents and he gets back on that path of faith. God wasn't done with him, even as an old man. And I'm thankful he can't, he's not done with any of us. And this verse, it's often, it was one of the, I think it was the second verse I ever memorized in Scripture. Um, and, uh, you know, John 3.16 was the first one. And then this was the second one. And I remember this, it says, And if we confess our sins, He, that's the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness? No, all. All unrighteousness. That's something you can camp on today. I want to end with a song, Come Thou Fount. And um, 